welcome to Inside Acne X, a series where we discuss TV, film, video games, virtual, augmented and mixed reality with our residents currently making it in Australia. Each fortnight we interview a resident at Acme X, which is Acme's screen-focused co-working space, and I'm Amber Gibson, the community coordinator for this space. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, on whose land we record this podcast here in Melbourne. It always was, always will be Aboriginal land. So today we're talking to Julian Wilton, who is the creative director at Massive Monster Game Studio. And the very ominous and haunting music you just heard in the introduction to the podcast was from their game Cult of the Lamb, which is soon to be released. All their music is composed by Narayan Johnson and we'll be adding snippets throughout the episode for you to listen and get a feel for the game. Uh, welcome, Julian. Hello, hello. How's it going? Julian's pretty committed today to this interview because he broke his toe uh, yesterday. It's true, it's true. It, you know, not to give the dates away, but it went sideways. You know, it was pretty, it was pretty messed up. <laughs> so, Julian, how did you first get into making games? So, I, I feel like I kind of just stumbled into it a bit. I was like playing some online games with my friends. We were playing this game and I'm like kind of realized that the source files were there so you can kind of see all the images in the game and stuff like that. I went in and kind of changed some of them and I was like, whoa, I'm a game maker now. I just changed the art. I found that really interesting and I kind of, me and my friend made a bit of a pack. We're like, you know, let's make a game, you know, let's, I'll, I'll do some art stuff. You do some programming and we got on it. Um, my friend quickly gave up the dream, probably a couple of days in, but I kept at it, you know, here we are like, you know, 15 years later. But yeah, basically after that, I kind of kept at it a bit. I did try programming as well, but I like really sucked at it back then. So I was doing a bit of art stuff and I, yeah, started getting into flash games because you could kind of work with a, work with a programmer. So I would go on forums like Newgrounds and kind of congregate and stuff like that. And I would do little mock-ups of a game and be like, yo, does anyone kind of want to work on this game with me? Or there'd be like other people that would be like, oh, I want to make this game. I'm a programmer. You know, does anyone want to work on it? And I think I worked on my first like big-ish kind of flash game when I was like under, when I was 17. Uh, and it sold for like 18,000 US dollars. And I was just like, what the hell? Best day ever. But I mean, it was great. But then also um, PayPal blocked my account because they're like, you're under 18 and you, you know, we're, we're not going to give you the money because you're under 18. And then, <laughs> um, but yes, because you're turning 18 soon in like six months, they were like, we'll just like leave it going and you can get the money in six months which was really annoying as well because the guy I, I was working on with another person and I was like, had to tell him the whole story. I was like, yo, you know, I'm sorry, I can't give you the money. And we also owed like 10% of it to this like flash game website where like we sold it through. So yeah, it was a big kerfuffle. I've hated PayPal since that day, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh, what an interesting experience. Yeah, of your yeah. first. Really? Yeah, welcome to the world. But you know, I kind of gave me a taste for it as well. That kind of um, business side of games as well. like. Like a lot of people making money in games is a bit like frowned upon, you know, people like, you know, see it as a bit commercial, but I kind of, you know, I think it can coexist as well. Kind of doing, doing both. 
Uh, and yeah, kind of kept at it. I started working with the other director in the company, Jay, probably like 10 years ago. We started a flash game called Super Adventure Pals. And again, that just came about by like finding on forums. And he, I think he posted a game and that he was working on. And I was just like, well, love it. So we just started working on that. On that and it, it did pretty well again. And we we're like, woo, this is great. Um, but then yeah, flash games started to die. So rip in terms of like the, the money was just no longer there, stuff like that. So we kind of started to like pivot and like, oh, what should we do? Should we make mobile games? Should we do desktop console games? And obviously the dream was always like desktop console games, just cause like, you know, it sounds so cool. You know, you get your game on, you know, on Xbox or you know, Nintendo and you're like, oh my God, that's awesome. So yeah, we started doing that and worked on Super Adventure Pals 2 which was going to be a flash game on those but then and we kind of got some we got some small funding from it for our from our publisher back then uh kept at it but we kind of realized that flash wasn't cutting it it was going to be too slow so we kind of pivoted to yeah using this weird framework called hacks open fl um which yeah could export to like consoles and then yeah four years later we had a desktop console game called the adventure pals that was probably three, four years ago now. And then also worked on another game called like Boomerang Foo, which kind of had a fun story behind it as well, where I saw the game at a bit of a play testing kind of meetup for game developers, saw this game. It was just like some little squares, like battling each other, like little squares on the ground, throwing boomerangs at each other. But I like I played it and I was just like, yep, I am in. I want to do art for this game. And I, even though like it was a th- he wanted to make it a 3D game, the main developer on it he wanted to make it 3d and i could only do 2d like i gave my best shot at some 3d but i just was not good at it (laughs) but yeah i kind of did um concept art for that drew all the characters and that was really cool way of working as well because i would do all these 2d mock-ups and then like a 3d artist would kind of take it interpret it and do a 3d version and someone else would animate it so i could just do a little bit of work and then it all get made for me so i really enjoyed that been an evolution of that pivot mm. over time yeah i think so like even this um on cult of the lamb it's basically like a 3d game really because it's all in 3d space like a lot of the shaders are all are doing a lot of stuff that three like 3d games do but where everything's still drawn is like 2d because like again we can't model can't make 3d stuff and we also refuse to learn so <laughs> yeah and it's definitely coming from our other games working on boomerang foo and adventure pals they're very kind of cute bright games which kind of learned, like, kind of looking at them definitely, like, appealed more to, like, kids and, like, a younger audience. But we knew for, like, the next game, we kind of wanted to, like, target more of the core audiences of, like, something like Steam, which are a bit more, a bit more older, kind of a bit more hardcore gamers. They like a bit of a challenge. Uh, so, yeah, we knew with this one, we're like, all right, let's target this audience. We'll keep, like, we'll keep it cute because we don't know how to not draw cute stuff. But we'll also kind of give it this darker edge. Julian, can you describe Cult of the Lamb to new audiences? Cult of the Lamb is a game about running a cult as this little lamb character 
Uh, you're running a cult of cute animals, and the way that works is you kind of go out into this dark, dangerous world, you fight dudes, you find followers, you'll bring them back to your base, and then you kind of need to look after them, keep them happy, and in exchange, they'll worship you and can praise you, and that feeds your power, and you can get stronger. And how did you develop the original idea for the game? Uh, it was actually quite a process because this was kind of going from our last game. We're like, oh, what are we going to do? We kind of started off with this prototype that Jay had developed, which is the, the programmer at the company. And he kind of developed this prototype where it's pretty similar to the loop we have now, where you kind of got a little base of people that you look after. And then you kind of have this dungeon where you go out and fight stuff. So we kind of started with that. I love it, but I'm like, how am I gonna actually, how are we gonna sell this? Cause part of the process is we kind of need to get publisher funding for it so we can actually work on it and kind of keep our studio viable. So we kind of went through a bunch of ideas. Originally it was quite complicated. It was like, you're on the back of a flying whale. You'd, you'd go down and you'd come back and you'd, you would have your followers, but you'd eat them. And it was, it was just a bit complicated and hard to like communicate what it actually was. And even for us, we're like, we were confused. We're like, what is this? So we tried out some more ideas. We went with another one of like trying to run your own hell where you kind of had the, the villages or the people you're looking after, but you're, you had to kind of punish them. But we kind of quickly found that we really didn't want to punish them. When we got to that point, we're like, mm, we just kind of want to look after them. Like we like hanging out with them. We want to look after them. I mean, some of them, if they're a bit naughty, we want to punish, but yeah, not the others. Um, so yeah, kept thinking. And yeah, this idea of a cult came out, which worked great because you can exploit them. You can kind of be mean to them if you want, or you can just be really nice to them. It's up to you. It's up to the player. So we're kind of not forcing it on them. So yeah, it kind of just came about through a lot of iteration and probably watching a lot of horror movies and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a lot of cute and horror elements in it. So you've been developing the game for almost three years now. Mm -hmm. um, as the creative director, can you describe your role? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, my role is very varied. When we were starting out, like I would do a lot of mock-ups, I would do a lot of art stuff and kind of just giving the vision to the project and trying to steer the ship basically producing the other guys a bit as well. But then now I'm just doing a lot of like programming as well and kind of writing shaders and a bunch of other random stuff. So I don't really know exactly my role, but I, I like to think of it as, yeah, kind of trying to steer the ship, keeping everyone on track, kind of keeping the vision going. business side of making games what have you learned about turning massive monster into a sustainable business yeah so i mean game the game development business is like it is really tricky and a lot of game companies kind of are created and they put out their game and then the game might not be that financially successful and the company no longer exists and it is part of the issue with um just the culture around it it's kind of game a lot of studios don't embed into that, they're kind of betting on the game doing well, where a kind of a lot of studios kind of need to kind of change the way they think and think more in terms of the, the business is getting publisher funding so you can make your game and then work on the next one, rather than kind of saying like, the business goal is to release a game and make a lot of money. Cause you know, it's, you always have to think worst case scenario, if the game's a complete flop, what are we gonna do? 
So just for example, Adventure Pals that we made, did it did moderately okay. We got quite lucky with it. I think it's done like over a million in revenue now, like over four years or something. But on our next game that the other guys worked on in the company, it made about 20K and it had a recoup of about 10 times that. So basically that means that the other guys in the company are never going to see a dollar from it. So kind of through that and through the Adventure Pals kind of learned we kind of have to create a business in the way where we're not reliant on the game doing well and we can kind of keep money coming in, we can keep people getting paid and not be reliant on that, yeah, the success of a game. And now you're publishing with Devolver Digital. Congratulations. Oh, awesome. <laughs> uh, how has that process been? Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, they're very, they're pretty chill. They're like, they're very confident with the game, which is great because we're a bit like, Ugh. yeah, as I was saying, like on the previous games, we were kind of hustling a lot, trying to do everything as cheap as we can. But with them, they're, you know, spend money to make money. So they're, they're quite um, liberal with their marketing budget. And we're, you know, just putting a lot of faith in them that they know what they're doing. And yeah, they've just been, they've been, yeah, really relaxed and they have a lot of teams for everything. So even like we're exhibiting at PAX East and they've, you know, they've got someone designing all the booth, designing all the merch. So we do like, if we, we don't have to do anything if we don't want to, but like we have kind of helped a bit with the merch designs, but they, yeah, they, they've got teams for everything. So they've been great. Yeah. Um, yeah. No complaints here. would you give to indie devs trying to sign with a publisher there's a couple elements to it i think the main thing is like just trying to make something that's you make it unique to you make a product that that you really care about you really like and that also has like a good hook slash unique selling point and just kind of getting good at kind of communicating what that is so for us we're just kind of going down this cult direction so we're like you know it's a game about starting a cult and kind of pivoting everything towards that and, you know, that was a bit strategic as well, because we're kind of like Devolver, if you kind of look at their other games, they are a bit more punkish on the, like, the type of games they release. So it was steering towards them with this culty game. Like, I think they kind of vibes with it because they're like, you know, it, it goes well with them. So that is like another thing as well, trying to find a publisher with similar interests or kind of similar catalog of games to what you're making. So if you're making a local multiplayer game, you might try and find publishers that have done local multiplayer games before and have had success with them. You mentioned that Devolver Digital handle the marketing, but you also have a big following on social channels. You've got like 7,000 followers on Twitter and about 3,000 members on Discord. Have you been continually focused on a marketing strategy independently? Yeah, so I mean, on the other games, we really had to hustle. So we had to hustle for every follower we had. I kind of meant that I went all around the world exhibiting the game, which is great. But yeah, we're kind of tweeting every day, trying to get, you know, trying to get those likes. And I think we've definitely steered towards just like an approach with our games of marketing first, putting that as a, as a big focus on everything we do, just because you need to find the people that are going to vibe with what you're making. You've got to keep it as a strong element. But I mean, it has been hard lately because, you know, if you're also trying to make a game and you're trying to prioritize marketing stuff, it is, it's a really hard balance, I think. Yeah. How do you strike that balance between remaining creative and focusing on the business? If you can like integrate it, 
it works really well. So there's a lot of companies that on their socials and stuff, they just have a lot of fun with it. And they, you know, they'll just share what they've been working on for the day or like, yeah, what, what's been happening. Like there's a few YouTube channels. They just do like a dev vlog of like, oh, this is what I've been working on in the last month. I've seen a lot of traction with those like working well and just kind of getting behind the scenes view of things. So I think, yeah, just kind of working it into what you're already doing. And what keeps you inspired to make video games? Uh, I just like, I like making weird stuff. I want to just keep pushing and exploring different ideas. Yeah, that haven't really been done or just kind of, yeah, kind of making people surprised in a certain way, like as this game, you know, kind of giving that really kind of cute, but then kind of messed up kind of vibe kind of surprises people and kind of, yeah, I just like breaking those expectations a bit and kind of making weird stuff. Cool. Do you have a favorite character in the game? I know we've got the, the possessed lamb, but. It's pretty good. I think, I mean, the lamb, Lammy or Lambert, or he doesn't actually have a name, but I call him, our Discord calls him Lambert for some reason, but I just love that name. He's a fave, but I think I have this like fish character I drew and I just love him because he's like a fish, but he's like pretending to be a human. So he's got like, he's got like fake nose and mustache. And when he talks, he's kind of, his mouth opens up like normal and yeah, it's pretty, pretty fun. And he's kind of like when he talks so yeah. In a few other interviews, you mentioned that Midsummer was a bit of an inspiration for the game. What other horror films or media were you drawing from? Yeah, so definitely a lot of, a lot of horror films. I love, um, yeah, Midsummer's great. And then like Hereditary from the same director. Mm. So good. <laughs> but then there's also quite a few others, like I feel like Suspiria and there's one called Limax, which is like it's about a bunch of like ballet dancers and they all take acid and end up murdering each other. Uh, <laughs> but that even that, like they have this like really strong visual language with a lot of the stuff they do. So like just even the lighting, they'll use like a lot of like they'll just make everything kind of red, put a big red light on everything, kind of getting these very distinct kind of compositions, which, you know, really stood out to me, creating very visually striking imagery in these movies. Uh, and then also, yeah, just the kind of creepy stuff that kind of comes out of it. I love that side. It just kind of adds a lot of like mystery and kind of depth to it without actually having to do that much work. You can kind of hint at a lot of stuff and kind of create a lot of narrative um, without doing as much. <laughs> <laughs> which sounds a bit lazy, but we kind of know what's going on, but we can kind of hint at it and we don't need all this dialogue and, you know, we can kind of just keep it a bit more, yeah, ominous and spooky without explicitly saying it. Yeah, it's good storytelling. What happens once the game is released? That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, actually, we had baked it in originally that we were meant to be working on our next game at this point, but I think we're going to be working on it the day, like, the day before it releases. So there's just <laughs> lots of work to do. But I think, like, we kind of going back to what I was talking about before as well of, like, trying to not um, keep your business, kind of keep your business afloat even if your game's a flop. We kind of baked in post-release um, support for this game. So on Adventure Pals and Never Give Up, which we worked on, it was kind of like the money ran out as soon as the game was kind of meant to release. And as well, a lot of the platforms, they won't pay you out in, for a certain amount of time and you kind of have to hit a recoup. So with this one, we thought, all right, let's bake in, I think we've got nine months of support after it, which means we're, we can do two big content updates with it. And it means that we can kind of keep everyone, you know, employee, keep paying the bills and stuff like that. Even if the game's a flop or if it kind of takes a long time to recoup, then we should 
hopefully still be in a good place and should give us enough time to develop a new game that we can also get funding for and kind of start developing that um, and keep keep the money coming just so, you know, everyone can eat and be happy. Yeah. Well, that's all we have time for, but thanks for joining us, Julian. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on Inside Acme X. If you want to find out more about Julian or follow along with Cult of the Lamb, all of their details are in the show notes alongside information regarding Acme X.